So we are part of a kingdom that is unshakable in a world that is being shaken. And that he uses that word kingdom. And the kingdom of God was Jesus' primary motivation, mission, and message. And Jesus only used the word church two times, Matthew 16, Matthew 18. It's the Greek word ecclesia, which means a group of people called together for a sense of purpose. That's the word that we translate church. Jesus only used it a couple times. But the word kingdom is used 162 times in the New Testament. It was the primary motivation, mission, and message of Jesus. The word kingdom, the, the Greek word basilia, 162 times. Jesus said, Matthew 4, verse 17, from that time on, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. So listen, I'm a big time local church guy. I think people need to have a strong commitment to a church where you connect, where you become known, where you know others, where you give, where you serve, where you love, where you live, where, where you are a part of advancing and furthering a strategic, specific vision and mission that is contained and embodied within a local church. Blessed are those who are planted in the house of God, for they will flourish like, like, like a tree planted in the, near a stream or a river. So I believe strongly in connection to a local church. But the local church is who we are. Building the kingdom, advancing the kingdom, furthering the message of the kingdom is what we do. And, and becoming a part of the kingdom is what Jesus came to, to invite you into. Colossians 1, verse 11 through 14. We pray that you would be strengthened with all his glorious power so that you will have the endurance and the patience you need. Come on, how many of you could use some patience and some endurance with things that you're going through in life? And he says, may you also be filled with joy, always thanking the Father, for he has enabled you, I want you to mark that right there, he has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. So he says, may you be strengthened and may you be filled with joy. Why? Because of the revelation that Jesus has rescued you from one kingdom and connected you, invited you, enabled you to become a part of another kingdom, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of forgiveness. Jesus didn't come to build an organization or a denomination. He came to rescue his sons and daughters from one life to a new life of relationship restored with him back into a family, and not just any family, a royal kingdom family. And you know why that's important? Because you're not part of a democracy. Next week we'll vote, some will stay in power, some will lose power, who knows how it's all gonna go. We ought to pray, we ought to vote, we ought to look to vote for godly people, we ought to trust and believe that God will raise up more godly people to step into positions of influence and servanthood in the political realm. But you're part of a kingdom, and kingdoms are established by blood, not by politics. So on, on your worst day, you can't be voted out. On your worst day, you're a part of the kingdom of God not because you're popular, not because you're, not because you're making good decisions or good choices. We ought to hope and do that we do some of those things, but your connection to the kingdom of God is established because of the blood of Jesus. Remember what I said to Mark, it says he enabled you. 
We don't earn it, we don't deserve it. Jesus came and accomplished it for you and for me. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that it didn't depend upon my merit, but it was dependent upon the sacrifice of the perfect spotless Lamb of God who is Jesus Christ. Come on, if you're thankful, someone ought to say amen. To be more than church attenders and to be part of something that transcends religious rules and regulations that so many people, so many denominations, so many times we get caught up in those things. And Romans 14, 17 has been a key verse in this series as we're talking about the unshakable kingdom. And it says this, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. This passage is being written in the context of believers kind of arguing and debating about can we eat this, should we eat this, should we worship on this day or should we worship on that day? And the writer is saying here, it's not a matter of those things anymore. It's a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. He says, stop getting caught up in all those religious things that you're trying to do to make yourself right with God or make yourself acceptable to God. It's been accomplished. Jesus has enabled you to become a part of the kingdom of light, forgiven and made whole, made new, made clean. And he said, now you begin to just live a little bit differently when you begin to realize this, when it goes from your head and to your heart. The kingdom of God is not a matter of religious rules and regulations, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And I preached specifically and uniquely on unshakable joy two Sundays ago. If you missed it, I wanna encourage you, go back and listen to it, but I wanna touch on it as part of today's message, that joy is part of the kingdom that God has called you to inherit and to connect to. And you know, some people might say we need more people to get serious about God, and, and I understand that, especially if that means being more intentional, more dedicated, to be in the Bible and read the word, to be connected to church and living out our faith together, to be determined to serve others sacrificially and to make a difference in our community. I understand that if that's what we're talking about when we say get serious about God. But contrary to popular religious belief, I wanna encourage you with something. Getting serious about God or more serious about God does not mean a life with less fun, happiness, or joy. In fact, as your pastor, one of the things I want to encourage us as a, as a local body of believers, as a church family, as a congregation, is that one of the things we ought to become really serious about is enjoying God and enjoying the life that he has allowed and created us and made possible for us to live out through the cross of Jesus Christ. Forgiveness and freedom and family, things that he has in his heart for us. We tend to want to understand God more or have more knowledge about God, not, not, not uniquely bad things, good things in and of themselves, but I, what I see in the word of God is that more than, than, than being known about or believed in, God wants to have relationship and fellowship. He wants to be enjoyed and celebrated. Psalm 37, four says, delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Did you catch that? He, he says, delight yourselves. And what? In the Lord. And so many people are looking for happiness in the things and the systems and the structures and the people and the places and the things of this world. And he says, don't delight yourself in those things. Delight yourself in me. And he says, when you begin to do that, I'll begin to connect you to the desires of your heart. Why? Did you catch that delight? Delighting yourselves in the Lord is connected to receiving from God. Why? Because joy is different than happiness. 
Happiness is an emotion, joy is a decision, a determination, a commitment to live this thing out. Happiness is an emotion, joy is a determination, joy is an expression of faith. There are times where things might not be going perfectly in your life. There are times where maybe your bank account might not look like the, the way that you thought or hoped it would by now. There are times where maybe you check your 401k. Ooh, be careful doing that these days. There are times where, where, where maybe things you might look at and, and the news headlines around the world might even give you good cause for concern for, for th some things that are going on in our world. And, and it, might be, it might feel like it's hard to have happiness, and that might be true, but I'm telling you today that because of what Jesus Christ has done, because of who he is and who he's made possible for you to be and become, and because of the kingdom he's rescued you from and connected you to, even in the midst of all those things, the headlines, the economic depression, the downturn, the politics, the division, all those things, you can still choose to live in joy. Someone ought to say Amen. So the kingdom of heaven is not rules and regulations, it's righteousness, joy, and peace. So righteousness, I wanna to touch on that. Righteousness is more than just good Christian behavior. There's some things we ought to do to try to live well and try to be pleasing to God and try to uh, be, be loving and, 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 and forgiving and, and, and be gracious with others. There is a life that ought to look differently on the other side of the cross. That's absolutely true. But this thing, righteousness, is more than just good Christian behavior. It's relational position to God. It's not just something we do, it's who we are. Did you know that? 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 is the scripture that proves it for us. For he made him, speaking of Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. So Jesus became sin, why? So that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Righteousness is not just something we do. It's who we are. And aren't you grateful that God sees you as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus on your good days and your bad days? Because if it was dependent upon us to live a certain way, then it, it, it would have, we could have paid the price, but it had to be Jesus. And so in fact, it's even more powerfully important to realize that on your worst day, God still sees you as the righteousness of God. Why? Because he no longer sees you through the filter of your sin. He sees you through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Come on, who's grateful for the price that Jesus paid that even on our worst day, God still sees us as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And then it says peace. The kingdom of heaven is righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. And I think in a world that is shaking, I want you to just commit yourself to something, determine something, settle something, grab a hold of something, and hold on tightly to it because in a world that is shaking, you need to understand God's heart for you as a believer in Christ Jesus is that you would live in unshakable peace. Unshakable peace. John 14, 27 is where Jesus tells us. He says, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Two concepts. He leaves it as in the context of an inheritance. And you know what's powerful? What's a powerful uh, understanding to, to kind of gather for ourselves about an inheritance is that it's something that someone else comes and, and builds, acquires, saves, stores to deliver to someone else. And he says, I came and I accomplished peace. I defeated sin. I defeated death. I defeated the grave. I defeated fear. And now I, because of what I've done, I'm leaving that peace as an inheritance for you. It's a gift to you. I give it to you. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. Not as the world gives you. Read on. Not as the world gives do I give to you. 
because there's a peace that you can find in the world, but it's temporary, it's circumstantial, and it's fleeting. And he says, there's a, there's a measure of peace you can find in the pills or the person or whatever it is that you're looking to find peace in. But he says, that's the way the world gives you peace. I'm giving you peace that will allow you for your hearts not to be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Come on, in a world that is shaking, determine it, settle it, receive it today, God's heart for you is to live with unshakable peace. Here's what I know in talking to a room full of people this size and all those joining us online is that no doubt there are some of us who are dealing with anxiety, fear, doubt, worry. And I'm telling you today that you need to understand that God desires to deliver you from that place. God desires to do something. God desires to speak something. God desires to heal something. God desires to shift something. God desires to remind you of something or reveal something to you so that you can begin to live with the peace that transcends our understanding. Righteousness, joy, and peace. Rejoice always, Philippians 4 says. Again, I say it as if in, to, to make sure we understood the significance of this. Again, I say it, rejoice. Come on, someone say rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. And the peace of God, watch how it ties joy and peace together. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. In other words, you might even have good reason when you look around your life to have some things to maybe worry about. But he says it transcends all understanding, all the natural things, all the headlines of the day, all those things that you could even possibly be justified to be worried about. He says if you'll rejoice in the Lord, if you'll remind yourself, it says the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and guard your minds in Christ Jesus. Your hearts and your minds. Your hearts and your minds. It's one thing to know something. It's another thing for it to move from your head to your heart. There's just a different level that we live from when something gets in our heart. Above all else, Proverbs says, guard your heart for the issues of life. The direction of life flows from the condition of your heart. And he says, the kind of peace I wanna give you is gonna guard your mind. It's gonna guard your heart. And I'm telling you, in a world that is shaken, the heart of God for you is to live in unshakable peace, righteousness, and joy. Come on, we gotta get this today. Just repeat after me. Say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The peace of God will guard my heart and guard my mind in Christ Jesus. Come on, aren't you grateful that God's made you part of a kingdom where you have right standing with God, you have joy that can't be stolen and peace that can't be shaken. And I'm inviting you today, I'm encouraging you today, I'm challenging you today. If maybe those things seem far off to you, because here's the reality, I say it all the time, it bears repeating in the context of this revelation and this message and this, and this precept, this principle, righteousness, joy, and peace, that's the kingdom of God that God has invited us to be a part of as he's rescued us out of one kingdom and delivered us to his kingdom family. And are there any three things that maybe are under more attack right now than those three things? Righteousness, positional identity, who you are in Christ. Waves of confusion, even affecting people's sexuality and their gender. Waves of lies and deceptions causing people to, to, to not appreciate who God has made them and what God's made possible for them. Waves. Are there any three things that are more under attack in our culture than our identity, than, than, than our joy, and, and then our peace? 
more modern conveniences, more wealth per capita than we've ever had as a culture and as a society, and yet we're a society that is gripped with debilitating anxiety, fear, depression, doubt, worry, and despair. He said, there's, there's a level of peace you can find in the world. But it's fleeting. It's circumstantial. He says, the peace I want to give you will transcend your circumstances. So my invitation to you today is, if any of those things, things seem far off to you, out of reach to you, would you draw near to Jesus? And would you watch how as you begin to draw near to Jesus and he draws near to you, would you watch as you begin to just serve him in a new way, in a deeper way, in a more committed way, in a more consecrated way, in a more determined way? How you begin to just experience what he's invited you to become a part of when, as he begins to just show you and, and, and shower you with his affection and his love and who he has called you to be, who he's created you to be, who he's made you made possible for you to, to be and to become because he's not finished with you. There's a version of yourself that he has yet to even introduce you to as you serve God, as you live for him. There's a level of joy. There's a level of peace. I'm just telling you. And it's not that we don't have to sometimes contend for it. It's not that we sometimes don't need reminders from a preacher or a person in your life to come alongside you and help you be reconnected, help you maybe take a step back if you've maybe been connecting, drawing your source of peace or joy from the systems or things or structures or people of the world to kind of get back on track. I have to do it myself, kind of course correct. I'm grateful for the people in my life and I'm grateful for the kind of the processes in my life, even the kind of the regularity of being faithful to connect with guys in my life group on Wednesday night and I'm grateful for the just the, 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 the commitment to be found in the house of God and to have people of God in my life. It's like rumble strips on the side of I-70 out there. Aren't you grateful that when you're check, checking your Facebook as you're driving down the road or whatever you're doing, you know, I know not you guys, other people do in that, right? And there's those rumble strips that kind of tell you, hey, you're getting off track and you kind of get back in. Or, if you're, if, or how many of you have those cars where your steering wheel does that thing? Anyone have one of those? How many of you like it? How many of you hate it? You know, I mean, it's a little bit disconcerting there, you know, but I'm grateful for those times. Some of us could use rumble strips to guard our, the lane of joy and peace and identity that we're walking in and that we're living in for us to begin to realize, whoa, I, I, I'm, I'm anxious, I'm fearful, I'm worrisome, and I know that that is not God's heart for me. He has not given me a spirit of fear. He's invited me to become a part of the kingdom of God, which is righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. So he's made us part of a kingdom family that's built and based and established and is unshakable because it's built on the blood of Jesus. And as disciples and as a church family, he's called us to advance the kingdom of God. He's called us to, now that we've been, become a part of this thing, he's called us to not just exist for ourselves or for ourselves collectively. He's called us and he's invited us and he's challenged us to now go and begin to spread that very message that we're now a part of to the 12 disciples in Luke chapter nine. He's, it says in verse one, one day Jesus called together the 12 and gave them power and authority to cast out all demons, to heal all sicknesses, and he sent them out to tell everyone about what? the kingdom of God. 
to go and tell people, did you know that you've been made right with God? Did you know that there's a, there's a way that through a relationship with Jesus Christ, you can have unshakable joy, unshakable peace, even in a world that's shaking? That's what I want you to go out and tell people, invite people to. Maybe if we got better about telling people about the benefits of the kingdom of God, rather than inviting them to church, and I'm grateful, I want you to invite people to church because hopefully that's the message they're gonna hear in this church is the message of the kingdom and the opportunity to receive it by faith through grace and the opportunity to begin to live for God and give their lives away. But he said, I want you to go and tell everyone about the kingdom of God. And you might say, well, Pastor T, but that was to the 12 disciples. Well, to the 70, or some translations say 72, that he also sent out. If you turn the page, Luke chapter 10, it says that he commanded them, heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Yeah, Pastor T, but that's the 70. Well, to the 120 that were gathered in the upper room, Acts chapter one, verse three, it says he appeared, speaking of Jesus, appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and what did he tell them? There were a lot of things that he could have thought important enough to tell them about, to instruct them in, to remind them of, to reveal to them, and it says for those 40 days, he spoke to them about what? The kingdom of God. People have been made right with God through Jesus Christ. But in a world that's shaking, in a life that is gonna be filled with some unforeseen, unexpected things, there's a way for you to live with joy and peace, not like the world gives, but because of a deepened revelation that moves from your head and gets in your heart about what Jesus has done for you and about who you are in him. Acts, so Acts 1, verse three is the scripture we just read where Jesus for 40 days taught them, instructed them about the kingdom of God. The book of Acts is, the, the, is are literally called Acts because it's the acts of the early believers, the acts of the disciples, the acts of the apostles. And the very last verse, it's like it's bookended, also talks about this, Acts 28, 31. This is literally the last verse of the book of Acts. And it says this, he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Here, here's the point. The church is who we are, but communicating the message of the kingdom of God, this royal family that Jesus has made possible, that is what we do. And at Rev City Church, we wanna be a church that builds God's kingdom. We wanna make disciples that make a difference, and that's what the Heart for the Kingdom Fund and ministry is all about. And that's why twice a year, we take a moment, we take a Sunday, that's what today is, to highlight, to celebrate, to appreciate, to invite, to applaud those who have already given and served, to invite you to become a part of this vision, of this mission, of this determination, of this uh, 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 conviction that we are called to not just exist for ourselves, we're grateful, we're thankful for what Jesus has done in our lives, but let this never be a church that becomes a holy huddle, let this never be a church that exists only behind the four walls of this building, let let this be a church that is alive and is actively advancing the kingdom of God to every place and everyone and everywhere where there's darkness so that people can experience what it feels like to be rescued out of that dark place and brought into the kingdom of light through his dear son, Jesus Christ. That's what we ought to be about as a church. Come on, if you believe it, say amen. More than a missions fund, more than a good cause, and it is those things. We highlight it twice a year. We unapologetically encourage and invite you to become a part of it, to serve, to give, to support in an ongoing way, in strategic ways, in generous ways, because it is at the heart of who we desire to be as a church. That together, 
as we serve, together as we give. We wanna have faith that we really believe it, that it moves from our head to our heart. We believe that this city, that Lawrence, Kansas, come on, can be reached, it can be changed, it can be transformed, it can become known for an outpouring, a revival, an awakening, many people, characterized by many people coming to faith in Christ, being healed and restored, being forgiven, being made whole, that we could see revival up there on that university. Come on, people getting as excited about what Jesus is doing in their lives as they are about winning a football game. Come on, but who's glad to be winning football games? It feels good. Come on. Is it possible? Come on, I, I believe it's possible. And you say, well, it seems impossible. Well, faith for impossible things is a part of our DNA. The very foundation of our faith is resurrection from the dead. Dead things coming back to life. And you look at our culture and you look at that generation and you look at the university and you look at the headlines and you see all those things and you think it seems impossible. Well, that's an atmosphere that's ripe for a miracle. But here's the thing, it's not gonna happen by accident. It will happen by God's grace. And we better be careful to predetermine in advance that we're not gonna take too much credit for it ourselves. But there is a role and there is a responsibility that we have. It's gonna require some things of us. It's gonna call us to a different life. It's gonna, it's gonna cause us to think differently, to see differently, to live differently, to prioritize different things than other people prioritize. It's gonna cause us to say yes to God. It's gonna call, cause us to, to be willing to serve, to be willing to give, to be faithful, to be generous. Matthew 10, verse seven and eight says, as you go, Preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, help people discover a life of forgiveness and freedom. And then it says this, freely you have received, so freely give. And right there forever, Jesus associated giving freely with advancing the kingdom. And I know it's more than money. It's about everything we've received. You've received forgiveness, come on, go and, go and give forgiveness. Go and tell people about a God who forgives. You've received the love of God, go and come on, tell people that even while they're still far from God, God loves them. God loves them, he loves them right where they are. He'll never love them any more than he loves them right there. How do you know that, Pastor T? Because the Bible says that while we were still sinners, while we were adversaries of God, that's the very moment that God so loved the world. Cage said it this morning, that he sent his one and only son. But he loves you too much to leave you where you're at. He wants to rescue you, he wants to help you, he wants to heal you. There's a kingdom, there's a family, there's a, there's a right standing with God, there's a joy, there's a peace that God wants to bring into your life. Giving freely is associated with advancing the kingdom. And today we're giving a special offering to Heart for the Kingdom, and again, there's never any obligation to give here, just an invitation and an encouragement because we believe strongly that this is part of what God has called us to do and called us to be individually as disciples and collectively as a congregation. And we even defined it in our family values of our church that you receive when you join this church, if you remember reading it. And here's how we defined it. We said, we wanna be a culture of generosity. We live to give because giving is a Christ-like lifestyle. We generously give forgiveness, mercy, grace, love, time, whatever is needed to reveal Jesus to others. Regarding finances, we faithfully tithe just as the starting point for extravagantly supporting and building God's kingdom through our local church. We live to give. Did you know that giving is the verb of the Bible? You might say, well, Pastor T, isn't it love? Because God is love and he loved the world. But, but it's, what does it say? It says, God so loved the world that he gave. Did you know if he loved but he didn't give, we'd still be lost in our sins? 
His love motivated him to send Jesus, to give Jesus, to make a way to pay the price. And so that's what we are desiring to do and to be and to become and to grow and to deepen towards as a church family is a culture that is generous towards, towards local outreach, towards missions. We have a desire in the future to see our church family send people and start ministries and plant churches and, and make a, a big difference starting right here in our local community and to the ends of the earth. We're called to be a culture of generosity. And you know, I really believe that, I know that when you talk about money, some people kind of get a little antsy in church. But I believe we haven't done anyone any favors not challenging people to live generously and not challenging people to prioritize the kingdom of God in their finances. We haven't done anyone any favors by, by kind of muting the message of giving and serving others. You cannot, you cannot, Follow Christ without giving of yourself and without serving others in the name of Christ. It's what it looks like. It's what it, it's what it feels like. It's what it sounds like to be a follower of Christ. And we debate about tithe. Do we, need, do we have to tithe? Do we need to tithe? And if you go look, Jesus said that we ought to tithe. But I believe that we get caught up in something that we ought to just help people get beyond very quickly. That tithing is the starting point that God wants us to get beyond. We shouldn't be concerned about how little can I give or how little do I have to sow. We ought to say, how can I be blessed so that I can be a blessing? How can I be the one that sows the seed that allows us to renovate the, uh, the, the Kansas uh, Juvenile Correctional Complex, which is underway right now? And we're sending a team in for the first time next Saturday to go and be a blessing to those young men and women who have had something go wrong in their life? How can I be the one that writes the check that helps us acquire the building to establish the Benevolence and Outreach Center? How can I be the one that can be used in generosity to be the one that sees things begin to advance as we have a vision to transform our city, our region, our nation, and even our world? See, when our hearts become on fire for Jesus, and we realize that building the kingdom of God is the only thing that we do in this life that will have impact beyond this life, tithing becomes an easy starting point for living generously to build the kingdom. And I understand that in many, just like many important areas of life and discipleship, where, where there's power, where there's potential, where there's promise, the enemy brings opposition, he brings controversy, he tries to cause for pastors and preachers and pulpits to kind of mute that message because it's so key to kingdom advancement. It's so key to living life as a follower, as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Come on, we need to recapture this message. We need to raise up our young people to understand that God has a purpose and a destiny for them and they ought to dream and dare to live greatly and to accomplish big things, not to gather things for themselves like the world does, but to be used of God. The, the Bible says that the blessing of Abraham, he said, you will be blessed so that all the families of the earth can be blessed. We are blessed to be a blessing. It's time for the church to once again speak with clarity and conviction about every area of life. Paul understood it when he was writing to the church of Philippi. When he said this, he said, I'm, it's not that I desire your gifts, verse 17. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. He understood something. Already right there, there were people that were probably kind of saying, well, why is he challenging us to live generously? Why is he call, causing us or calling us or inviting us or, or challenging us to give? And he said, I, I don't need your money, he said. I'm calling you to live a life that God can look at and begin to bless because to make disciples, followers of Jesus, we have to be willing to be doers of God's word, not just hearers, builders of God's kingdom, not just receivers of God's kingdom. And we have to be willing to not shape the message to what we feel like will attract the most church members. Because here's the thing, 
we haven't done anyone any favors and nothing works in people's lives and people's marriages and people's financial situations like challenging people, like instructing people, like inviting people to live out the word of God. And I believe as we return to God and his word and his ways and, and challenging people to go beyond just being occasional church attenders to being fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, disciples, kingdom builders, kingdom advancers, that we will begin to see the results that God desires for people to get in their life, that people will begin to, in a fresh way, in a new way, in a revived way, begin to experience his presence, his power, and his promises in our lives. We can't shy away from encouragement. It's, uh, we're giving a special offering today and I'm just encouraging you that this is the culture that we wanna build into our church. That we would be generous, that we would be faithful, that we would have the right heart towards money, that we would not be, the Bible says we cannot serve God and mammon. And here's the thing is you understand that, that really as, as we've kind of shied away from challenging people or speaking clearly and with conviction about things regarding money, again, I'll say it again, we haven't done anyone any favors. And I began to just research, and I, here's what I discovered real clearly, real quickly. You didn't have to go to the second page of the search results. It jumps off the page that money and, and issues of money, stress over money, problems with money, anxiety over money is the number one cause of many of the issues that plague our society. It's the number one cause of divorce. A K-State study, where my wildcat people at in here, come on. Maybe you guys know this lady, Sonia Britt a Kansas State professor and university researcher, conducted, conducted a massive survey, and here's a quote from Sonia Britt from over in Manhattan. She said this, regardless of a couple's income, I'm quoting her, regardless of a couple's income, debt, or net worth, arguments about money are by far the top predictor of divorce. It's not children, sex, in-laws, or anything else. It's money for both men and women. 19... Uh, 87, a national survey of families and households, and here's what, I, this survey is a little bit old, but it still pops up, and I would, I think maybe we could all agree that if it was true then, it's probably even more true now. Could we agree with that? And it says, in this survey, both husbands and wives were asked separately about how often they disagreed with their spouse over chores, in-laws, spending time together, sex, and money. These same respondents were again contacted five years later in 1992, so that's actually the date of this research, and asked if they were still married. Of all these common things, that people fight about, money disputes were the most likely harbinger of divorce. For wives, disagreements over finances and sex were good predictors of future divorce, but finance disputes were much stronger predictors. For husbands, financial disputes were the only type of common disagreement that predicted whether they would get a divorce. Utah State University, couples with weekly occurrences of financial disagreement were found to be 160% more likely to divorce. If you say, well, Pastor T, that's all for married people, I'm single and ready to mingle. <laughs> um, <laughs> financial worries and concerns cause, are cause for people to be seven times more likely to deal with chronic severe clinical anxiety and depression. 16% of all suicides are determined to be a root issue of financial pressure. So here's, the, here's what I'm telling you, is just like every area of life, we need the blessing of God in this area. And we ought to worry less about our own opinions or preferences. We ought to say, God, what does your word have to say about it? And, and I believe that God's word is so clear. He wants to see a people who seek first the kingdom of God and who trust that God's gonna 
provide for everything else, Matthew 6, 33. Three, quickly, three Ps, and then we're gonna, again, we're gonna give our offerings or our regular tithes, and again, no obligation, just the invitation to be a part of it in whatever God calls you to do. And this isn't a one-time thing. We just highlight this a couple times a year just to kind of deepen the culture and the commitment and as kind of to create an on-ramp for new people to become a part of it. But three Ps that I wanna give you, these are powerful promises to those who overcome the fear and the anxiety, who overcome the preferences or opinions and commit themselves to be faithful and generous to sow financially into the kingdom of God. Proverbs 22, nine, and the first P, rather, is provision. God commits to provide for those who give. Proverbs 22, 9 says this, he who has a generous eye will be blessed, for he gives of his bread to the poor. I think, isn't that interesting language that God uses? He, he who has a generous eye. I don't know exactly what that means, but I think what it speaks to me is someone who is looking for the opportunity to be generous. Not someone who has to be compelled to do it, but someone who is looking. I'm looking for the opportunity to be a blessing to the single mom, or I'm looking for the opportunity to make up the difference when someone comes up short at the cash register. I'm looking for the opportunity to be prompted by the Holy Spirit to go and to swipe my card to pay for the gas of the single mom who's kind of trying desperately to wrangle her kids while she's trying to put gas in her car. I'm looking for the opportunities to go and say, hey, I just wanna bless you today and remind you that Jesus loves you. He sees and he knows what you're going through. I've got a generous eye, and the Bible says a generous eye will be blessed. God commits to provide. Malachi 3.10 says, bring all the tithes in the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. Pour out a blessing so great, you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. He says, put me to the test. Luke 6.38, give, it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. It's not just financial, but spiritual. How many remember the story of the of the Roman centurion named Cornelius in the, in the book of Acts chapter 10. And the Bible says that an angel of the Lord came to Cornelius and here's what he said to him. He, he, said, he said this to, to Cornelius. He said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and your gifts to the poor have been noticed by God. And you remember the angel of the Lord gave him instructions about sending men to a town called Joppa where he would find an apostle and they would bring him back. And it was the way that the entire Gentile church that you and I are now part of being grafted in to the church. It was the way that it was established because the Bible goes on to say that they came back and they told Cornelius and his friends and his family about Jesus, this one who saves. And they all gave their lives to Jesus Christ and a great revival, a move of God began and it hasn't stopped since. What got God's attention? The Bible says right there, the way that Cornelius was generous to the poor. Number two, God's commitment to those who are faithful and generous in the area of finance is protection. Malachi 3.11, I will rebuke the devourer for you. It will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor, the, nor will the vine in your field prove fruitless to you, says the Lord of angels' armies. Psalm 41.1 says this, oh, the joys of those who are kind to the poor. The Lord rescues them when they are in trouble. And come on, in the terms of financial, the financial world around us, inflation and talk of recession, who knows, leading to depression. I'm just telling you that the system, the economic system of the world in many ways is turbulent, in many ways it is shaking. But my, my promise to you because of the word of God to you and I is this, that those of us who will anchor ourselves to understand that the systems of this world are not our source, 
that we might, there might be a name on the check, but we understand that God is the one who is the provider of our needs. He's the one that meets our needs. He's the one that protects us. He's the one that provides for us. I'm telling you, you might feel it. You might, well, here's what it's not. It's not that we just take a blind eye to things. You might have to make some adjustments or whatever as inflation and all those things are going on. But I'm telling you, I believe it with all my heart today because God is who he says he is and he'll do what he says he is to those who will remain faithful to him and put their trust in him and not the systems of the world. He will provide and protect you in the area of your finances. He'll see you through. Number three, and I had to stretch a little bit to make this a P. <laughs> it was very important to me. Protection, provision, and the last one is the person of Jesus. The person of of Jesus. When we commit to be generous and live generously, we bless. This is powerful. This is amazing. We bless the person of Jesus. Matthew 25, verse 34. We'll, and, and we'll close here, and then we've got a special video we want to show you, and we'll worship and give together. And Jesus said this, red letter words, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then these righteous ones will reply, verse 37, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or as a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Through Heart for the Kingdom, through local missions, through outreach, through all the ministries that we've initiated, that we support, that we are a part of, Jesus right there said all the things, that, and, and I'm just telling you, you whether you give a dollar or a million dollars, you have a part, you're invested in, you have a role in what we are up to as a church through Heart for the Kingdom. And Jesus right there said, he said, when you've done it to the least of these un, in unseen places, th things that seem trivial, things that seem insignificant, when you've been a part of those things, you've done it to me. I want you to take a moment. And as you maybe are even prayerfully considering, step into being a part of this vision and this mission just take a look at just a few of the ways that Heart for the Kingdom is making a difference, starting here and literally all around the world. Then I'll come back up, I'll pray over our time, and the worship team will lead us in our time of worship and giving.
Man, come on, can we just thank the Lord for what he's invited us to be a part of, advancing the kingdom? Hey, would you stand to your feet? Stand to your feet and I know many of you give online, many of you have already given online, many of you automate that. Thank you for doing that, that's, that's really appreciated. But in this moment, we're, these guys are gonna bring a couple baskets right here and we're just gonna give you the opportunity. We just do it twice a year, give you the opportunity if, if you choose to, if you desire to. You can bring your normal tithe, you can bring a strategic or, or generous gift towards Heart for the Kingdom. And again, maybe some of you aren't prepared to do that in this moment, you're just hearing this and you need to have a conversation with your spouse or make arrangements or whatever. This isn't a one-off, one-time thing. This is a culture that we're building as a church, that we wanna be a church that builds God's kingdom. We wanna be a church that, that is intent and committed to and dedicated to making a difference in our community, getting the message of the gospel outside of the four walls of this church, refusing to just exist for ourselves recognizing and realizing that there are many precious people who still need the help and the hope and the healing and the forgiveness and the freedom of Jesus Christ, that we would give to support those who were going, that we would be willing to be those who would go. Did you catch that in that video? Many of those people that you saw right there were one-time active church members in this church who just received a call from God and who were willing to say yes to go. And so maybe your part is to go, maybe your part is to give and support those who are going, but that's what Heart for the Kingdom is all about. And so we're gonna worship one more song. We're gonna give you the opportunity. You can give any way you want, in, in person, in these baskets, online. Use the text feature, use the boxes at the back. Again, no obligation, just an invitation. We welcome you to be a part of what God's doing through Heart for the Kingdom. Would you allow me to pray over our, our giving and over this vision and this mission? Lord, we just thank you, God, for the invitation. We don't have to do this, we get to do this, Lord. We wanna be a church that builds your kingdom, that spreads the message of the gospel, that goes and helps people. We wanna do whatever, we wanna give whatever is needed and do whatever is needed or called for, Lord, to reveal Jesus to people so that hearts can be revived to life in Christ and so that this city, this community, Lord, our nation and our region, Lord, and even, our, even the world, Lord, could be changed the way our lives were changed, rescued from one kingdom, Lord, where we were once trapped in sin and darkness and guilt and shame, Lord, delivered to a life of righteousness and joy and peace because of Jesus. He enabled us, he made it possible for us, Lord. So our response, individually and as a church, Lord, is just to, to be faithful, to sow, to give, to go, Lord, to pray, to support, Lord, so that others may experience the same thing that we've experienced. I bless this congregation, I bless the givers today, God. Lord, I pray that you would lead and, and, and prompt them, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that they would just pray and obey, Lord, that they would just do what you would call them to do, Lord. They wouldn't compare themselves to others, Lord. They would just do what you've called them to do, Lord. And when we all do that, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that there would be resources to further and advance your kingdom in all the ways you've invited us to do it, God, in this season and in the future. We believe, God, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. In Jesus' mighty name, in Jesus' name, and come on, all God's people said, Amen. Hey, let's go back into worship, one song, and all throughout this song, starting right from the beginning, all throughout the song, feel free if you would like to come and give your tithe or your special offering this morning. God bless you. We're thankful for you.